Welcome to Coast to Coast, an NBA podcast by the fans, for the fans. My name is Chris, and hosting with me is my guy, Ronan. Tune in every week as we dive into the hottest content and emerging rumors across the league. Dodgers pulls up, three-pointer, bang, bang, it's good, Dodgers wins the game at the buzzer. Don't miss a beat, whether it's a star on the move or the Knicks acquiring another forward, we got you covered. Zion for four, for four, welcome to the NBA. The game is constantly evolving, and whether it's by the eye test or advanced stats, we'll give you the analysis you need to take your fandom to the next level. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! Sit back and relax. Coast to Coast starts now. Happy Monday, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Coast to Coast. Man, we got a lot to cover here. I mean, this weekend alone, it's just the typical polar ups and downs of the NBA. We got the Celtics. They emerged from their two-game series. Tide, Cam Thomas saving the Nets from a six-game losing streak. Bucks winning to the Nets and then losing to the Hornets. Lance Stevenson, what's going on there? I don't even know. The Mavs snapped the Bulls' night winning streak. And LeCenter is still a thing. Klay Thompson is back. Ronan, I don't even know where to start here. You, you seem to be the guy who knows where to start. So uh, guide the ship here. Get us going. What do we do? Oh, man, there's only there's only one place to start. We got to start with Clay's return. I mean, 941 days out of the NBA. Clay mm-hmm. Thompson is back. And best of all, he looked better with every passing minute he was on the yeah. court, which is just great to see. How, how poetic was it that the last time we saw Clay? on an NBA court in the finals, game six, he went up for a dunk, landed and tore that ACL. Um, we see his brave free throw attempts there. And then we see him go for this posterizer. And it was just such a like reclamation of his NBA career and 17 points. It took him a lot of shots to get there. But the fact that he was aggressive and the way he looked, I mean, defensively and offensively, the, I mean, his shot, we haven't seen it for a while. We've only seen it in an open court, but there's no better shot than Clay Thompson in rhythm. It's 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 amazing to see it back there. And man, this team looks scary. Yeah, it's worrying because the, the the big the biggest thing is obviously they're playing against the Cavaliers, a, a team that are tough, tough, really tough team to play against at, at the very least. They win 96, 82, and it was just everything that makes you so worried about the Warriors. It was another night of shooting struggles for a team like Golden State. But no matter what, the defense is always there for Golden State, and that's what got them the win in the end, which is that's it's just why this team is just so feared yeah. around the league. Yeah. And let's, let's not forget, this is a weekly reminder that the Warriors still have the best defense in the league. And, and like we just harped on how successful they are just because they do it every single night. And when you see Clay Thompson added into that, it's not just the shooting, it's the defense. They have two legitimately elite point of attack defenders. We haven't talked far enough about young glove. And I, we've, we've seen how effective he's been as a point of attack defender and he doesn't back down for anybody. And imagining him and Clay Thompson on the wings in a playoff series where they're fa- I mean, if 
say a situation where Paul George and Kawhi Leonard are back, you feel pretty, pretty good about having Klay Thompson and Gary Payton Jr. there to shore up like some key defensive possessions. And, you know, it also speaks to their level of dominance that they're going to have over a team like the Jazz. You know, if, if you don't have enough isolation, self-creating stars, you're not going to be able to score against this defensive behemoth. I, I think that all they need now, and I want to talk more about Clay a little bit, but I just, just thinking bigger picture about the Warriors, that just having him there and we're getting that minimum 80% already from game one. I, that felt like a 80% of what Clay is in game one of his return. If you just get some very basic big man stuff out of Wiseman, if he can come back in the playoffs, that is the complete puzzle to what this team is going to be if they're legitimately the championship favorites. It's, it's getting pretty close to, to feeling very confidently on that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, that's where the commentators kept mentioning that last night. It's Clay's obviously back now. And now I think uh, Wiseman's just another couple of weeks away. And then as soon as Wiseman is back in the lineup, it's all about the playoffs for for Golden State, just figuring out their best lineups with their full complement. And they definitely stand to actually improve, which is what we just keep harping on about. It's It's scary that this team is well very well placed to only get better approaching the playoffs and i'm kind of just like god damn it how are we how are we back to this situation again just <laughs> the warriors just so just so scary for every every other team in the league i mean uh i thought i thought we were done with this but we're back and uh, don't get me wrong it's still it's still nice to see it's just a testament to the quality coaching of of steve care and the quality of the players like like Curry, like like Clay, like Draymond. Although him him starting just to foul out and go off straight away was just so stupid last night. <laughs> Draymond, yeah, he, think, just, he, he was I think injured. He, was, uh, he, he wanted to yeah. be a part of the, the lineup, and he just failed straight away and went off. <laughs> yeah, it, it was nice. It was nice to see all of them there, and I mean, it's scary to look at, and it's something I think the past couple of years has has given a new respect to the Warriors because I think a lot of the respect for what they've built because legitimately this isn't a Nets team that was put together on the fly. This isn't a heat team that was put together with, with free agents. This is a team that was built from the ground up. I mean, the dub nation was built off of Clay Thompson, Steph Curry, second round pick Draymond green and getting veterans in to develop them, getting Steve Curry in there to develop them. And, to see them return now with added firepower and you got a next generation coming up. you got Jordan Poole there as he's going to be in the perfect role now as a microwave scorer, two-way guy even, I, I we, believe we, in we his defense still, as well. We can still yeah, and we, exactly. Otto Porter Jr., go down the line. Andre Iguodala is back there. Hmm. They were missing that depth when they got Durant. You know, they were really relying on that killer lineup to destroy teams and then, you know, whoever else is left on the bench, it's, it's fine. But now they have them. (laughs) But now they have the depth back. They have the depth that made them originally so scary because you didn't just have to deal with the, the three point barrage and the frenetic ball movement, but then you had to deal with, you know, the, the good play of, of your Bogut's of your Sean Livingston's your, of your Andre Godalas. And they got so much more of that and more right now. Um, 
But I mean, back, back to Clay, like of all of all his plays, you know, you obviously had that dunk. But what what play did you see where you're like, all right, he's he's back, he's he's back? Was that the play? Was there any other play you're thinking of when you watch that game? The the sidestep three he made. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if it was the first one in uh, the first one he made, but the sidestep three he made was just just classic Clay, and and the block as well on Jared Allen was yeah. was classic uh, example of, of what what Clay brings on both ends of the court. It's why he is such an effective two-way player and why he's been such a miss for this Golden State team. I mean, people people have definitely forgotten just how good a player Clay Thompson is. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to give a lame answer because, like, everyone's going to say the dunk, but – and you, you mentioned that in, in the post, seeing Clay battle against Mobley, battle against Jared Allen, seeing him taking leaners over Markinen, like – he's just as physically as he was before. And I think that's such an unappreciated part of his game that he is a tough defender one through five. Mm. And he's an elite defender at the wing. Like, I think we're going to, we're, we're going to wait and see just, just how scary it'll be. But you said it right there. I mean, it's, it's scary to see, and we're only going to see him get better as time goes on. There's going to be a tough slate here. They got a, some really tough matchups um, moving forward. But we'll see if they restrict his, his minutes at all. I'm, I'm not sure where, where they're going to go in terms of how hard they push him, how much they put him in, because they, they don't even really need him right now. They're, they're fine without him. They're, they need to get his feet wet, but he seemed pretty good. I think it warrants maybe a little rest. Who knows? Yeah, I think the way they're looking at it, I think they have a, a, a small bit of a road trip coming up, and I think then they have a, a, a decent homestand. I think that, that homestand is when they're really going to start trying to Trying to kick into gear with uh, with Clay's return, which is is going to be just interesting. Just get a, getting his feel back back on the home floor, which is everyone cheering his name. It's a bit the great environment to come back into for for uh, for Clay and the Warriors, and and he's coming into a team where they don't need him really to be doing what he's doing. Obviously, they they ultimately they really needed that points that he added and and the defense that he added last night ended up being a bit of a bit of a close battle, but. I think it's it's a great situation to be able to bring a guy who's been out for two years back back into right now. Yeah, and we'll see him duel against. I I think they'll put him on Bain most likely against the Grizzlies tomorrow night. Uh, against the Bucks, you're going to see him facing up against Middleton. Against the Bulls, he's going to have Levine, DeRozan to deal with. Against the Timberwolves on Sunday, he's going to have to deal with Anthony Edwards, D'Angelo Russell. Um, we'll see him against probably Cade Cunningham against the Pistons. After that, there's going to be a lot of cool matchups to see him really start to warm up and, you know, jump right into the fire. Um, but we got a few more games to talk about here. Of course, the most important one is this little mini series against the Celtics and the Knicks, both tied for 10th place before it was all said and done leaving also tied at 10th place. Um, I, I think the, the interesting wrinkle here is that it's, if they were just happening to end the season right now, it would, depend on divisional record because they're now they're both tied two to two apiece this season so whoever's going to have the best divisional record if they're tied for the play-in that's going to be what determines it but i think bigger than all that is the test of their resolve and you know as a knicks fan how did you feel after coming out of that rj barrett steals a win from the celtics that first game and second game felt like much more uh i guess i guess a statement game from the Celtics, really holding on to lead in the fourth. Yeah, big time. I mean, that that first game, it was kind of just like thank you, New York, for really just 
giving your fans something to to celebrate this year because <laughs> it's been it's been a it's been a bit a bit of a dire year. But watching that win is definitely their their best win of the season. It, it was a it was a great game to watch. I mean, Fournier just going off. I mean, insane. He, he's just loving life against against Boston. <laughs> that's that's why we struggled so much on Saturday night. We didn't have we didn't have Evan Fournier. That was that was a big miss for us, but. He just goes off for career high, 41 points, 15 of 25 shooting, 10 of 14 from three. The guy just couldn't miss. We come back from 25 points down and RJ Barrett shows something that I didn't really think he had inside of him, which was, which was huge because I mean, he was having a dreadful night. He was getting dominated, especially by Robert Williams. He was denying RJ every time he even tried to get at the rim, but then he he stepped up with a couple of key assists Late in the game, one to to a lob to Mitchell Robinson to level. Then he then he played it to IQ to to pull us into the lead. Then he ended up getting the getting a free throw, which which helped as well. And then of course he hits that unbelievable game winner. And that was that was really great to see from from RJ. And I, I was I was starting to lose a bit of faith in him. But when he when he stepped up like that, having such a bad night to still show that he was capable of doing something like that. That that that's a big that's a big thing for me in, in my mind. Just look looking to the future. I don't want to. See, I, I I'm really happy because I finally get a little positivity from you. So we've been talking. Anytime we talk Knicks, it's just a little glum. I don't feel any hope for me. So I I didn't want to turn this into a little more of that. But I came away from that despite the game winner. I I came away with that a little bit more down on Barrett. And I, I mean the. <laughs> Can you handle the truth? Um, I mean, I'll, I'll agree with you. Though. In the fourth, the way that he was able to, you know, put together some good playmaking, finally getting others involved off the cut. And I think that had a little bit more to do with, with the Knicks finally hitting some um, shots from three and really spacing things out a little bit better. Um, and he, he was just completely unable. At 6'6", the 6'10 wingspan, I just expect him to do better in the paint than 1 of 10. And even at that rate, like, I don't know if this was a coaching thing, if they were just telling him that he needs to put pressure on the rim, but man, I don't know why he just kept going at Horford and Williams because the, the Celtics, the number one thing for them, they're, they're in the number four paint defense in the league for a reason this year. And you saw it, they, they walled off Randall and Barrett pretty well. Barrett won one for 10 at the paint. I, Rob Williams, I don't, I don't know. Was it six blocks? Seven, it felt like a million blocks. Seven, seven felt, blocks, yeah. It, and I believe six of them were on Barrett alone. Um, but the thing is about his shooting. If you look at his shooting chart this year, that, that's what concerns you right now. Is you've wanted him to get better as a three point shooter. He's improved a little bit. He's right now shooting thirty four percent. And what I feel like the Knicks have done a lot of this year is put him in the corner when he's not on ball. Let him get comfortable shooting there, but teams are just running him off the line. And when they're running him off the line, he is shooting twenty six percent on baseline. He's shooting thirty three percent in mid range. And the thing that really shocked me, when I looked at this. He's shooting forty eight percent at the rim. That's ten percent below league average. And again, a six six, six ten wingspan guard. And Barrett, like when he was coming to the league, I was really high on him because. He shows what he can do in the open court. He shows he has vision and he shows that as a, as a slasher, if he has, if he's going one-on-one, I mean, he's going to be really physical and get there. But when you have good defenders, really good defenders like Williams, like Horford, like Brown, Tatum, 
who know how to stay down, who know to like stay in your way and not foul. He just can't finish over. He, he doesn't have the advanced footwork that I thought he'd have at this point. Um, and I don't know. That that seems to me a little bit of a fundamental defect in his game that he can't efficiently get to the line or or anything at the rim for his position at the wing. Yeah, yeah. I didn't I didn't realize it was that bad, but uh, he Sorry. was definitely he was definitely never a guy I really had faith in. No matter who he was, he, no matter who he was going out in any game when he's going out the rim, I never really if he if there's someone there to challenge him, I, I would always be back in the challenger when you watch it, you just don't get that feeling with, with RJ that he's, I don't know, is it just a confidence thing? Is that, that that's probably part of it, but it's just a, a general ability, like you said, with the footwork and, and a few other bits, he, he's, he has to do better. It's, it's simple as that. One thing that was interesting about that game though, is I wonder, did the Knicks really just shut down Jalen Brown? I wonder if that was their plan because Tatum for that whole game was literally just doing mm-hmm. everything right. I don't think he misplaced a pass. I don't think he did anything wrong. He was you know, 36, 6, and 9. He was just doing yeah, everything right. Everything. But Brown had 12 in the first quarter and finished with 16. I wonder if that was the Knicks' plan. Because if it was fair play to them, or maybe it was just the way the game played out, they just said, we're going to shut down one of these two guys and just hope for the best. If that was their plan, if we it worked to perfection, fair, fair, fair play to them because he really, he, he was non-existent. You wouldn't have even known he was on the floor for the rest of the game. After he went out uh, in the first quarter, from then on, you really did not notice him as being any sort of impact on the on the game at all. Yeah. And then, of course, in, in the second game, he he, he was the, the lead man, took, took complete control. <laughs> yeah, I know. And, I, and I think that's, if you... In, in the aggregate, like when you zoom out of these two games and when you zoom out even even wider and you think about their potential, because when you leave game one, you, you have that perspective. And if you just watch game two, then you have maybe the opposite perspective that Brown, you know, oh, this is the guy that you that you need to run yourself through. So it it's tough when, when you watch these games. I really try not to to focus in on one event, but. I what I do see, and this is something we see all the time, is the fact that Brown is and Tatum in their own right in games like this, they really take themselves out of like a, a productive role. And how many times do you see in that first game, Brown's just taking early shot clock shots and from three contested out of the flow of the offense? Like they're they're not even running a set yet, and he's just pulling up. And I think a lot of times it's in an effort to get himself going. I don't necessarily think it's like a stat padding thing or even a selfishness thing. It, it feels like, you know, his role is to score in, in a lot of these lineups. You know, he's supposed to be the guy, but there there seems to be just a kink in the decision-making where when he decides to take shots like that and he's got guys like Schroeder out there who in his own right, when Truder is is going downhill and really putting pressure on the rim, that's huge. I mean, that's something they really need. But when you got Schroeder just putting his head down, getting the rim, and not really making passes, that was fine in game one. In game two, that was that was really bad for certain stretches. Um, and in game one, that really synergized with Brown in the wrong way. They just had so many dry spells because Brown was taking an early shot. Schroeder was just trying to get whatever he can at the rim and whether he's missing or it's, it's not a kick out to an open guy, but he's not making plays that way. 
And I, I feel like if, if they can do what they did in like the first five minutes of the uh, first game, you had, you had sets where you had Brown and Tatum on the same side using each other's gravity. You, you had that first play where Tatum was moving away to three-point line and, and sent it to Brown diving right through the lane. And they had that space because they're playing off each other. If you had more plays like that, that felt like something that was working. But when they're splitting the court and they're on both sides, it feels like defenders can lock in on both of them. And when you swing it to one side or the other, they just reset. It's, it's not, it's not a dynamic that's worked out. Um, but again, like if you look at game two, Brown looks like a, like the superstar 20 point triple double. So I, I think I come away with this though, it, with a bigger conclusion on what they need to do outside of Tatum and Brown enough talk about trade them based on the out. I, I think they have talent on this team and they need to figure out. Uh, I wonder what you think about, their closing lineup where they took Horford out. I mean, we traditionally think of Horford. That, that's a guy that you got to really steady the team. He's a good playmaker. Um, he's really good screener, really good defender, but they decided to go with Grant Williams and really played through Josh Richardson that second game. Um, who had a fan, fantastic yeah. game. Um, they're, and they're both actually having pretty good years, very, very good years, career years as you will remind us um, from three, but I don't know. Did you see something there that you think has some sustainability for providing success? It's it's tough to say because the situation the the game was in. I mean, that game was over heading into the heading heading into midway through the third. That game, that the second game, that that was that was dead. That was dead in the water. I still think Horford is a guy you want in there when you're trying to close out games. I still think he's effective on both ends of the court and the options that Boston have at the moment, I think they, they, they are going to need them. They're not the, they are a pretty bad team at, at closing out. So I think it's a uh, fair enough if, if he wants to try and, uh, and change a few things around to, to see what works, but I don't think there's, I didn't Nothing really caught my eye too much in terms of of something we're we're gonna see see more more consistently. One thing I will say, just on on the first game, the final point on that is the Knicks really just summed up their entire season when they had a five <laughs> on four and committed oh a shot clock violation. That was just oh that was God. just everything that you need to know about the Knicks. <laughs> yeah, I I was so I was so confused. I hold that like Marcus March just lay on the floor. The Knicks like. They were playing, but they just weren't doing anything. I don't know. I don't know if they're waiting and they felt bad or they're waiting for Marcus Smart to get up. I don't know. I don't know what the hell was going through the minds of the players, really. Yeah. Oh, let, let me let me legitimately I'll I'll try and legitimize my my theory here and, and we'll move on. But well, let's say this. Both Williams and Josh Richardson, whether it was a you know, I think the Knicks were making some. They were Knicks were making runs that they had to defend against, and I, I think the reason why it wasn't a close game is because anytime the Knicks made a run, Celtics responded, and that's not something that they've done, and that's definitely not something they did the first game. Gave up sixty-two points in the in the second half there, um, but in the second game, in fifty-one minutes, Williams and Josh Richardson it were plus twenty-three, and you know, is, is it fluky? I I think maybe not because you know, on the year, Grant's shooting forty-two point five percent from three. And he's shooting 54.5% from the corner. Um, and Richardson shooting 41% from three. And he's shooting 45% on above the break threes. Two areas where the Celtics are doing really badly 
uh, shooting. And these two guys, they're doing it on lower volume, but it's just something you got to tool around with. You, you got to, you got to figure out, are these two guys on the floor with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, do they give them a better opportunity to succeed? Because they're filling out those areas of the floor where they have to get more shooting from. And, you know, you got to keep smart out there and you're able to do that w- with him at the top of the key. Cause he's, that's the only place it seems like he can shoot in the clutch. <laughs> but I, I think that in conclusion, like the Celtics might have to think fit over talent. Schroeder's a better player. Yeah. Horford's a better player. Yeah. But if that fit gives them a better edge, gives them more spacing, allows Williams to be a better diver at the rim when Horford's not there, allows Tatum and Brown to operate more in the mid range. Maybe that's, that's a little wrinkle. Cause that, that's all it takes for a team like this. The Celtics just need little wrinkles like that lineups that actually work every time for them to get, like we said, our resolution, a five game winning streak, something get a spark going. Cause maybe that's just something they need to explore. Yeah, that's that's what they needed to to do here. For both teams coming into the the series, obviously the first game Thursday, second game Saturday, both of them had to be thinking we need to win these two games, and this can really kickstart our season here. And of course, they just do what they they were always going to do from their season. <laughs> they split it. But I mean, yeah. uh, I think Richardson, especially, he's definitely a guy you know can be a big role player. But the defense of Boston really stepped up in that second game. They restrict after they they go in after the first quarter, 26 to 21 down. Then the next three quarters, the Knicks put up 16, 18, and 15. Mm. Pretty awful from the Knicks, but there was yeah. some good defensive plays from Boston too. There wasn't it wasn't just all Knicks being being dreadful. But I think that, that we really saw what what Yudoka wants from this Boston team, mm-hmm. especially in the second game. We saw it in the first half. Of, of the first game, but then they kind of fade away and Fournier just took over. But the ball movement and stuff on on, a, on offense, they were always finding that extra pass and it was always to an open guy and it was always to shots that were that were going down and the defense as well was was really impressive. So it's like the commentator, uh, the game I was watching, the commentator just kept saying, why can they not do this every night? <laughs> like I'm saying, it's like they got, they are capable of doing it. It's just, they just need to find that consistency. Yeah. Um, we've, we've done pretty well here. Waters have been tough. We're, we're sailing the ship pretty well around it. Where, where do we want to go from here? Well, I know there's one I want to get into. And that's, that's, that was the, the real, the real big one of the, of the weekend, Friday night, the books and the Nets. The Nets, it's time to be a little, just a little bit worried. I know they're not, they're not, they don't have Kyrie Irving, but they lose 121 to 109 at home, a fifth straight defeat, and they are now 0 of 8 versus top four teams. Mm-hmm. This that season. was number one. Yep. That's really worrying. That's a that's a you know what that is that is a sign of a bad team. When you're losing against the teams that you want to be competing for the top prize come the end of the year, yeah, you win the games you're supposed to win. That's what they're doing. But when you see that stat, obviously it's two loss to the Bucks, two loss to the Bulls. Then they go. They've gone down to the Suns, the Warriors, Memphis, the Heat, and six of those games were at home as well. So you can't just say they've all been on the road. They don't have that that sort of advantage. 
And the only thing that's really separating them from almost being on a similar sort of level to the Lakers right now is the fact that they are actually winning the games that they're supposed to win. That, that, that's, they're beating that's, bad teams, yeah. Yeah, that's that's the that's the main the main difference here. But when I saw that stat, I, I the the first kind of element of doubt started to creep in, and it's kind of the element of doubt that I I've always wanted to have about the Nets. I, I'm desperate to question them in some way, and now I actually have a legitimate beef to bring up. You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think what it, what do we see here? We we saw some some pretty obvious uh, inability to stop the best interior scorer in the NBA. Um, no disrespect to Embiid. But when Giannis wants to get to the rim, that your only hope for the Nets is Durant or Claxton. Um, I mean, Claxton, in his own right, I think he he did as, about as good as he can. But when, when you have Giannis, it was just a classic Giannis game where he put pressure on the rim and you need to send help, and he's making the right pass. I mean, he has nine assists for a reason. He got this team going, and when their shooters are going off of his drives, I mean, they, they didn't even have a particularly successful night from three. But, you know, when you take 45 threes in a game, you're, you're going to hit some, and especially when you're getting wide-open looks uh, when, when Giannis has got all five defenders on him in the paint. It's going to be a pretty easy night. Um but what, I think that the tough thing for me is I haven't seen Harden have a moment. I, I need to see Harden. Harden's had good games here and there. He, he's definitely improved from his slump early on. But I haven't seen MVP Harden at all. Nope. You know, and you know, his drives to the rim still feel a little stale. Doesn't have that same that same dance to the rim that we've always seen. And I don't know if that's just the physicality still or whatever. We, there's nothing left to chalk it up to, but he's not playing at the level where, you know, he's elevating them past these elite teams. And this is where they really need Kyrie Irving, man. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't want to get back to hashtag get the shot or whatever, but it's, it's pretty clear that when, if they're going to face a team like the Bucks, they're going to face these top echelon teams, even, even a team like the, the Bulls. I think they're, they're going to have a tough time without having a guy like Irving, who's, you know, in his first game back, we talked about it, looks like the pure scorer that he is. Harden just doesn't have that right now consistently enough to elevate them over a team like the Bucs because they needed to score more. That, that was their formula. They weren't going to stop Giannis. They weren't going to stop Middleton. Um, and you can't let Bobby Portis have a 25 and 12 game. You just can't. Yep. You can't. Um, I, I, you gotta, you gotta have some respect for yourself here. I mean, I love Bobby Portis. He's a great, great player, but you know, if the Nets are going to play small I mean, you, you gotta be shooting the lights out. You, I think they really are also missing um, the spacing from Joe Harris. I mean, Joe Harris, he's not just a floor, floor spacer, but he starts to break defenses down with the amount of movement he has. And Patty Mills is in a slump. He's, yeah. he's not been as electric as he has been in the first couple months, but I don't know if it's a sign of a bad team, but I'm not confident in them winning a series over the Bucks unless they have Kyrie there. Because I think what they got out of, and this is such a weird little little part of it, they got so much defense out of Blake Griffin last year. Like he was legitimately solid against Giannis, and I, I that's just evaporated into thin air. And Blake Griffin was such an unlikely answer to shoring up 
Giannis and at least providing resistance. And that just doesn't exist. They don't have anybody. And Claxton, I think he's great. He's a great health defender. I think he has his moments to challenge Giannis at the rim. But when Giannis wants to break the defense down, he's going to do it. Oh, yeah, Giannis just had – they had no answer for him, and I think that that could prove a problem come, come playoff time. I mean, don't get me wrong, there's not really anyone in the league that has an answer to Giannis Antetokounmpo when he wants to do what he what, what he what he's really good at. He's, he's going to get it done. But other teams just have a, a more – a better chance of, of just slowing him down that little bit where you, you don't really see it with his Brooklyn team. And you mentioned Harden, I mean – He's really disappointed me. I mean, he's just he's just not producing at all. And the only times really in the game against Milwaukee where he was producing was when all the Milwaukee starters were on the bench and he was going up yep. against the second unit. Yep. That was the only time he really looked like anything, which is really that, that's 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 a worrying sign. And you hope obviously there's still plenty of time for whatever to go on with Kyrie and just getting him back. And even if it is only for for road games, you hope that that can have the impact on Harden that it, that it did last year. Yeah, and my last question here is, where is Paul Millsap? And I take this very personally as well, because the Bulls really wanted Paul Millsap. I really wanted Paul Millsap. He's he's a guy that, that would have been perfect on this Bulls roster. And in a game where you needed an interior defender, you didn't put out Paul and Paul Millsap's not going to stop Giannis, but you're, you're putting out David Duke. You're putting out Nick Claxton. You're putting out Bruce Brown, putting out Aldridge, putting out Beverly. Like there's no minutes for Paul Millsap. I, I don't, I don't get that. That's, you know, I'm not on the Nets beat. I don't know what his relationship with Nash is. I don't know. Maybe his condition is, I, I have you're no idea. You're willing to question see if Nash is coaching and you're going to be, you're going to be willing to do that. Right? <laughs> when it, when it comes to, I mean, I'm, I'm realizing that he's, they're shelving the one guy that I, needed the Bulls to have. And maybe that was their plan all along. They just need to keep Millsap out of the hands of Karshovis. And that, that's, <laughs> that was their way to be successful. But um, a quick note here, uh, we got to give a shout out to the Hornets, who the very next game took down the, the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, and, man, the, the Bucks had really, really enjoyed their, um, their bench scoring in that game against the Nets. But it was just non-existent against the Hornets. And the, when the Hornets are going off, and they, they just go off, you have Lamelo throwing half-court behind-the-back passes. It's a Kelly Oubre, Miles Bridges dunk contest. You have um, Miles Plumley taking reverse jams. Like, you don't beat the Hornets when you do that, I guess. <laughs> yeah, well, you got to say fair play. I mean, that's just another sign that the books – they haven't really got going yet this year compared to the last few years mm-hmm. in, in the regular season after the winning the championship. I think their sole focus is just making sure they're at 100% come playoff time. I think that's all they're really, they're, they're really thinking, do their best to, to finish in the top four in, in the East and just make sure they are ready to go when, when the playoffs roll around. I mean, they still, the difference between them is they, they, they step up when needed. I mean, they, that, which is a sign of a good team, when they are the gauntlet's actually down and they're they're in those big games, they still they still have a pretty decent record against against kind of the the point five hundred teams so, so far this year, which is a good sign for them. But I think their their whole focus is really making sure, which is what all the really great teams do. They 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 generally just make sure 
they do solid they do solid enough during the during the regular season but really make sure all things are firing come, come playoff time yeah i want to see what, what they look like if they can really get DiVincenzo and um and get drew holiday back in the lineup let's see, see what they look like over an extended period of time grayson allen as well um but we, we got to move on here running out of time and it's crazy that we there's just so much action over this weekend <laughs> that we, we don't even know where to go and we, we gotta we gotta start with with the Pacers real quick I right, we I gotta talk Lance Stevenson because my god my god I we were able to mention his 20 point quarter um and then we see DeMontis Sabonis have an unbelievable 42 point game against the Jazz who are of course they're without Gobert but you know, we, we talked about how good Hassan Whiteside has, has been in a reserve role. Um, Yudoka had a, a um, as a bookie, had a nice little game uh, in Gobert's absence, but they did not look like the same team against the star duo of Lance Stevenson and DeMonta Sabonis. Um, did I, are you, are you thinking this is a legit patch to what the Pacers might've needed? Uh, it's probably still an element of hope for me with it. I'm, I'm loving what I'm seeing <laughs> okay. uh, since since Lance has come back. But I mean, you do, you can't knock what he's done. He put up that 30 point game against uh, against the Nets, and then he goes off for a career high of 14 assists against the Jazz. I mean, of course, Gobert is a huge miss, but Sabonis still had to go out there and take advantage of that, and that's exactly what he did. I mean, he was 18 to 22. And a 42 point game. I mean, those are like those are like Shaq, Shaq sort of numbers, I think, and Chamberlain sort of numbers. That, that, that's what you're thinking when you when you see a guy go off like that. And Sabonis again just showing what a star he is in this league. And and teams have to be watching what he's doing and thinking, God, he could make such a difference to our side if he really is up uh up for trade, like like the Pacers have mentioned. Yeah, and I, I think. I don't want to be too hopeful. I don't want to be crazy. I don't want to go on a limb here, but what have we mentioned about the Pacers? They've, they've just been missing. Like they have all the ingredients of a good team. And when we talk about Sabonis, you say, Oh, go to another team. And they have, they have shooters, they have cutters, they have guys who can really play around a, a playmaking center who likes to get in the, get in the paint. I mean, the Pacers have all that. They have all the elements of that, but it, it feels like everything's been so predictable and there's just been this element missing. And it feels like Lance Stevenson brings in like this chaotic, like energy that they haven't had all season. He brings this frenetic pace of, of play and this unpredictable um, offensive game that, you know, on some nights might have you scratching your head. But on nights like these, it, 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 you can't help but think maybe this is just like the little ingredient that we needed to get the soup going and you know you can have you can have everything in the soup you can have your potatoes you can have your meat you can have your vegetables got all, you got the garlic but maybe maybe it's the salt you have no salt in the soup if lance is a little bit of salt that the east is wide open the the whole league is wide open this year and they're not super far behind the season's not over and i don't know if the organization does a 180 necessarily but if little things can get this team going, just like we talked about the Celtics getting a streak going, seeing some light, if the Pacers can see some daylight, winning some games here, 
maybe that starts to change the trajectory because they didn't bring in Rick Carlisle to rebuild. You know, they, they brought him in to compete. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, yeah, Lance, the, the very minimum, you know, you, you know you're getting what you're getting from Lance Stevenson. Passion, drive, and of course, talent. The guy plays with his heart on his sleeve. And that's sometimes something that teams need. And and, it, and it's you're seeing the, the impact that it's having on the Pacers. They're looking likely. I don't think they've made the deal yet, but it, it's it's coming in the next few days that they're going to keep him with the team for, for, for the rest of the season. And you, you know he can provide that extra bit of drive that can that can spark a little run he he was part of that that pacers team that was just so gritty and tough to beat in, yeah. in the east in the in the mid 2010s there unfortunately obviously they're going up against the brown but there were still times where they put pull their pulled that cast team close so there's there's talent there and lance stevenson is is a really great great addition for for this team and you hope I'm sure Rick Carlisle is hoping that he can have that sort of impact. Yeah, crazy. I, this is what I love about all these 10-day contracts. It's it's crazy to see. Um, and I I want to talk about not the Lakers, but the Grizzlies again here. We, we, we'll finish on a positive note. Um, or maybe we talk with center. We talk a little more with center. As it, again, he, he, he looked good. I mean, this guy's at the age of 37, he's, he's just defying. He's created no <laughs> it's not real uh i think one thing in the memphis lakers game just in terms of lebron they're like he goes right at jaron jackson jr and you forget that he's 37 years old like the jaron jackson jr is one of the best shot blockers in the league he's not a guy that you just dunk over he's not dude is massive and he just dunks over him no problem nothing it's like when does when does he stop age? When does he actually start aging? And does it ever happen? Um, Maybe when Bronny comes into the league, he'll 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 uh, he'll start aging. Then that's a, that's that's <laughs> he's he's still he's still aiming to be to be to be hooping there. I mean, I was just he was he was awesome again. Thirty five nine and seven oh, went uh, went up above uh, Oscar Robinson in uh, all time assists. He's probably looking likely that he'll hit the ten thousand mark. Probably, I I say I'd be guessing that at least by the end of the season, if not, uh, if not sooner than that, uh, he was efficient, and he was just everything that the rest of the Lakers starters were were not. Yeah, I mean, he went fourteen and nineteen, three or four from three, made all his free throws. The rest of the starters had a total of twenty two points, eight of thirty nine from the field, two of ten from three. They were pathetic, really. That was that was simply it. The you, you say respect to the the Lakers reserves, the likes of Reeves and Ellington. They 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 made this game somewhat respectable, but that it, <laughs> they scored it, in it was time. false. Like it was false. It was one twenty seven <laughs> to one nineteen. This was not an eight. That was game. this is a two. Yeah, this was, was a twenty point game since the, the beat, halfway through the third quarter. <laughs> the team, but say respect to, to the young yeah. guys, especially like Reeves. They they forced the. The Grizzlies just to have to bring the uh, the starters back in after they had benched a lot of them, which is all they could really hope uh, hope that they could they could do. But uh, it was it was another worrying sign for the Lakers outside of LeBron. Yeah, uh, defensively, they they ended a game with a defensive rating of one twenty six point five. Um, if y'all don't know, that's that's really bad. That's really really bad. I gotta say that I, I'm done. I'm done, like 
beguiling all these things about the Lakers and what they need to change. Cause I think we just, I, I think what we need to start talking about is, is LeBron and what he's doing and not everything around him because it is what it is. That, that's just it. Like nothing's going to change. They can't make any moves. And this is going to be an interesting chapter of his, of his career. Another one where is he going to take something to another level? Is, is this, he's, he's having one of the best stretches of his career playing at the center position. Um, and it is really interesting. Um, and it will, maybe we'll take time to go over some of the analytics that we've seen over how efficient he's been. But besides all that, this is about the Grizzlies. Nine straight games. They are so clearly a tier ahead of teams like the Lakers. Um, and so clearly in the tier of teams like the Jazz and the Suns. I, I think there's – I don't I don't feel crazy thinking about them as a – solid top three team no that no, that, that doesn't seem crazy to me anymore. i mean you've you've a tip in this crazy team you've had your eye on them for a while and i think you you've you've convinced me and you're you're we're all our listeners i hope they're they're starting to turn the heads too i mean nine straight wins the first first time ever for this uh for this franchise and they just went they went off in the second and third quarter they put up 38 in the second 42 in the third they absolutely dominated this Lakers team and it was the little the just the little things. I mean, there were 13 and 0 on fast break points in the first half. And the Lakers are usually a pretty decent fast break team when you got guys like Russ and LeBron leading your offense. And then they were 20, 20 and 0 on fast break points after three quarters. And they put up 107 points in three quarters. Yeah. I mean that's why the score doesn't matter. It's it, yeah, that's the third I three mean, quarters. Like, yep. It was a lot of it was just the Lakers deciding after the first quarter where it was 27 apiece to just say, okay, no more defense. We've done, we've, we've, we've done enough. That, that was, it, it was, it was just shocking, but yeah, we'll stick, we'll stick with the Grizzlies. Another, another impressive performance, another game of growth for their team. And it was, it was just all, all the little things. I mean, the 62 points in the paint, the paint domination, I think on the defensive end as well, Obviously, John Jack Jr. had six blocks alone. He was the he was yep. the star man of the game, 21-12, and then the six blocks. But it was everything. The Lakers, first of all, they were being challenged at the rim and they weren't scoring. And then for the rest of the game, they were literally having open looks at layups and they were missing. They 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 the, the Grizzlies had just got in their head that, that they're gonna be around there and they weren't they weren't able to score. It was just such an all-around impressive performance from Memphis. They got whatever they wanted. They got to the line with such ease, especially Jai. He was struggling a bit with his shot, but he kept on getting to the line, which is which is which is huge for him. So much open threes and it was just so so clear that they were the, just a better team than the Los Angeles Lakers, which is something I did not think I would be saying at the start of the season. Yeah. Um it, it's fine. There's still space on the on the bandwagon. Plenty of space, <laughs> everyone aboard. But a um, couple notes on Jaron Jackson Jr. We'll close here. But um, him playing center right now is is an interesting part of what we talked about. What may be limiting him with Adams on the floor because Adams has been fantastic for them. Has unlocked a lot of what their team can do. But if Jaron Jackson Jr. can do what Stephen Adams does to a lesser degree, if if he can screen effectively and if he can be a better rebounder, if he can play more defense at the point of attack in the post. He's looked really good offensively when he gets a chance to play there. If he's the only big on the court, because 
you know, he's taking guys off the dribble from three as, as he can do. And when he's playing against less skilled players, that that's clear that he's so good. And when guys put smaller wings on him, I mean, he looks massive against John, like Stanley Johnson didn't have a chance against him. Yeah. And when they put, when they put mellow on him, it was just impossible. I don't know. I don't know what they were thinking there, but I mean, Jaron Jackson Jr. has this, has this play where he, he just has a, has he gets right past mellow and he spins around Bradley and one over LeBron James. And that was just a focal point of this game where they have way more talent than the Lakers have in Jaron Jackson Jr., John Moran and their collection of guys. And they didn't even do it without, they didn't do it with Dylan Brooks either, but if if Jaron Jackson can do something at the five, and that's something that they can roll out playoff time, that that's a lineup that I'm really interested in um, come playoff time, depending on their, their matchup. But that's that's I think the scope of the future there. Yeah, hundred percent. I think the the matchup will will be key. One of the other thing Jaron Jackson Jr. really needs to work on is. Uh, is the jump balls. I mean, he's, he's, he's not great at them. He lost, he lost a tip to LeBron. And then during the game, he lost a jump ball to, to Melo, which, uh, which w- w- wasn't great for him, but I, I, I'll let, I'll let, I'll let that slide for him, you know? <laughs> All right. Well guys, that's going to do it for us here. Covered a lot. Um, and we want to maybe, I think I want to start talking some all-star stuff because there's some really interesting races going on, especially in the East, but in this new year, Thanks for joining us again. Second episode. Stick with us. We'll be back with some more content. And as always, running, my friend. Always good talking to you. You too, man. And one thing I'll say for anyone who's still harboring hope of the Lakers making a big comeback, seven of their next 10 games are against 500 teams. They are struggling big time against 500 teams. So now we'll really see what the Lakers are made of in this next 10-game stretch. Yes, sir. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of Coast to Coast. Don't forget to hit us up on Instagram and Twitter at Coast to Coast NBA Podcast to hear your takes discussed right here on the show. And remember, take every shot and love every moment.